In these last couple of weeks, we've been meeting with, with several different groups of people in Bahrain and, and out in El Ain, and I've said this same thing over and over and over again. If I could do my 27 years over again in this country, I would do less and focus on God more. I would work less and be more time in the Word. I would do fewer projects and spend more time in prayer. Because what I'm finding in my older age is the only thing that really counts is my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do I keep that burning? How do I keep that passion going forward in a way that I'm becoming more like Jesus? Because ultimately, when this world's over and we're with him, we're not taking our projects or our titles or the things that we've done with us, really. It's going to be our love for him and, and our love for one another that is eternal, that really counts. And as we've been spending these last uh, six months on board of uh, the ship, and we have seen some incredible things, and I want to share a few of those with you, because your prayers have helped make that happen. When we left here, we wanted to impact a continent. Now, that's kind of a big goal, isn't it? But to be able somehow to join in with what God is doing and bring encouragement to people and at the same time bring some mobilization to get people to begin to think outside of their own neighborhood and maybe outside their own country maybe places in the world that they have not thought of before and to somehow come into their relationship with God who is watching over those places and say God what would you have me do how can I be a part of that? Well, the ship ministry goes into a port for about three or four weeks, has meetings, people go out into churches, and on board the ship is a huge book library, bookstore. And that is what is drawing people in. And so people will come on board, they will go through, in a sense, the book uh, exhibition, get the books that they want. The number one bestseller is the Bible. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands because people are hungry for the Word of God. But as they leave the, the book exhibition, they come into what we call the journey of life. And it's kind of you, you wind through these little passageways and on it are these beautiful pictures telling the story of the prodigal son. How he left his father, he wanted his inheritance, he went to the city, he wasted it all, he ended up eating the food designed for pigs, and finally, broken, torn, he goes back to his father, and his father's there with open arms. Every person that goes through the book fair sees that story. Over this last two years, as the ship has been in South America and Central America, over two million people have gone through that story. 
And there are volunteers stationed there that speak the language of the port that we're in that are taking people through and explaining to them if they don't know what the story is about. In these last two years, over 10,000 people have made decisions for Jesus. See, we want to see God's kingdom come, God's will done. Now, my goal on being on the ship is I want to tell the people over there and our brothers and sisters over there that there's a lot that needs to be done over here. That's why we're there. To give a, a message of come and live out your Christianity in the countries of Saudi Arabia and the Emirates and Bahrain and Qatar and Oman and Yemen and surrounding countries. Because we want the kingdom to come and God's will to be done. Every day is a miracle. Every day God is doing incredible things. Let me just give you some statistics of what happened when we were in the port of Santos in Brazil. We were only there three weeks, about 20 days. During that time, 97,000 people visited the ship. Over 100 teams went out into ministering in the community and ministering in the churches. During that time, 657 people said they wanted to join programs that would pray for missions around the world. 340 people made decisions for Jesus. Three weeks. During that time, 2,500 Bibles went out. Every day, there's a miracle. Every day, there's someone to talk to. Every week, there's a pastor's conference or a missions conference, being able to impact people, encourage people. And you know, there's something incredibly special when the Spirit of God is already in a place, and they're ready, and they're ripe. And you come along, and you tell a very simple little story, and the people start to weep. And when you see them falling down and crying out and praying for places around the world that they'd never been interested in before. That's the kind of thing that was happening. Just last month, we were having dinner with the mayor of Rio de Janeiro. Now, I said that to totally impress you, but actually, it was a bus of 50 people coming from the ship. We were just one of the two of the, out of the 50. But the mayor and his wife were believers. And they invited us to their home and, well, to the, they call, I don't know what they even call it. It used to be the British embassy in Rio de Janeiro. And it was this fantastic old building and we had this incredible dinner there. And he invited us because he wanted us to pray for him and his wife and to pray for their city. A city that you all know about, a city that is, is incredible in its beauty. There's a statue of Christ the Redeemer that overlooks the city. Any point in the city, you look up and you can see this statue of Christ. 
And yet in this richness of this city and the wealth that is there, there's hundreds of little ghettos where the police will not even enter because the gangs control them and they're armed and they kill. And the mayor's and his wife is crying out for the city, for these places, that the gospel will penetrate into these places, that lives will be changed. Well, I want to share with you what God's been talking to me about, the lessons that, that I've been learning. And I want to look this morning at the book of Jude. So if you can turn to your Bibles to the book of Jude, it's that tiny little letter right before Revelation. And I want to go through this whole letter, and we'll go through it pretty quickly, but it's very short. Verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Jude and James were half-brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. James become the leader, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. What was it like for Jude and James to grow up with a brother like that? I have no idea. But you know, earlier in the Gospels, they didn't believe in him, did they? At one point, they went with their mother to try to rescue him out of these meetings because they thought he had kind of gone astray. And yet, after the resurrection, they came to faith in him. So Jude is writing, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. And that's what's been on my heart. In some ways, I would love to just tell you story after story after story of what God has done. But there is this, this, this passion of, of the times that we're living in right now. We need to have our spiritual guards up. We need to be contending for the faith. That word contend, it means to exert intense effort on behalf of something to struggle for something. So Jude is talking to believers way back 2,000 years ago with the same thing that we're dealing with today. And we have to be people that are aware of what's going around us. And we have to struggle hard for that core belief that we have, that gospel, that faith, that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is it once for all delivered. Amazing that Almighty God has given to us his words. Everything that we need for life, it's here. But we need to dig, don't we? We need to study. He goes on in verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, 
Jesus Christ. There's a time that Jude is saying that people are actually going to enter into fellowships, enter into Bible schools, enter into communities, and they're going to bring something that is different to that core belief that we have. And Jude is giving this warning, and the warning is that people can go astray. And so for you and I, that's what we need to take to heart. We can go astray. In May of this year, a pastor from Grace Family Fellowship, he writes this. This is this year. After 40 years of being a devout follower, 20 of those being an evangelical pastor, I am walking away from faith. Even though this has been a massive bomb drop in my life, it has been decades in the making. It's walking away. In July of this year, Joshua Harris, who was a main evangelical leader in the U.S., wrote a famous book years ago. Listen to what he says. The information that was left out of our announcement, that announcement was basically telling to the community that he and his wife were divorcing after some 20 years of being together. So the information that was left out of our announcement about the divorce is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. What a word. To deconstruct, to kind of remove those bricks, to remove those foundations that have been in place. He goes on, he says, the biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me there is a different way to practice faith. I want to remain open to this, but I am not there now. In August of this year, one of those singers, lead singers from Hillsong, Marty Sampson, he writes this. I'm genuinely losing my faith. And it doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world. It's crazy. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be loved yet send four billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. I'm not in it anymore. You know, what was it that overcame these men? That that first love that they had was gone. They have the same Bible. They probably sat in the same meetings that we sit in. And yet there's something about that personal passion, desire, running after God 
that never quits, that never dies, that can keep people going in the direction of following God. Somehow, it seems that was lost. A few years ago, there was an article written by a man named Luke Timothy Johnson. He's a New Testament scholar, historian of early Christianity, a professor of New Testament at Candler School of Theology. And he is writing an article about homosexuality in the church. And this to me is also a very telling sign of the times that we're living in. So here he is, he's teaching in the seminaries. His view is that homosexuality is okay and should be in the church. Now that's not one talk. I'm not here to talk about that today. I'm talking about how he is going to defend that decision theologically. Listen to what he says. The task of talking about this subject demands intellectual honesty. I have little patience with efforts to make scripture say something other than what it says through appeals to linguistic or cultural subtleties. Basically, what he's saying is that there's some people out there that support that view. They try to twist scripture. They try to say this word doesn't really mean it. And culture comes in and try to explain away the clear teaching of scripture. And he's even saying, that's rubbish. He says the exegetical situation is straightforward. We know what the text says on this topic. But what are we to do with what the text says? We must state our grounds for standing in tension with the clear commands of Scripture and including those grounds some basis in Scripture itself. So that's quite a soft way to say in tension with Scripture. He explains what he means by that. He says, I think it important to state clearly that we do, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture and appeal instead to another authority when we declare that same-sex unions can be holy and good. And what exactly is that authority? So basically he's saying, ultimately, this won't be the authority. What exactly is that authority? We appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience. And the experience thousands of others have witnessed too which tells us that to claim our own sexual orientation is in fact to accept the way in which God has created us. By so doing, we explicitly reject as well the premises of the scriptural statements condemning homosexuality, namely that it is a vice freely chosen, a symptom of human corruption and disobedience to God's created order. That is our world. If we take away the standard of the scriptures, 
we take away that authority and we start talking about my experience, we have, we've lost the compass. And not only that, when, when God makes a clear statement, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, and my commandments are these, there is a break in the relationship. And the world that we're living in is going down this incredible path. The, the bad news, the good news, God knows this. It's all outlined here. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verses 1 to 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. The Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. From the very beginning, there has been this overwhelming warning to us that we are in this incredible spiritual battle. There is light, there is darkness, there is heaven, there is hell, there is almighty God, and there is a devil. And the battlefield is us. And the enemy wants to try to get people out of the light, out of that path of that relationship with the living God. And the warnings have been there. This is who we are as the people of God. This is the life we have. This is part of the battle that we fight. Jesus in Matthew 24 said, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. They will lead many astray. And he says, Many false prophets will arise, lead many astray. But get this. And because lawlessness will be increased, and we're seeing that all over the world, law is breaking down. Right and wrong is breaking down. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. But Jesus himself is giving that warning to us, saying, where is that danger? That danger is your love is going to grow cold. And we know that the two commandments he gave us, that we love God and we love people. And so somehow along the way, our ability to love God is going to, it's just going to waver. And somehow along the way, we're going to give up on people. Go ahead. If that's what you believe, go ahead and we withdraw and we retreat in. But if we lose our love, we've lost everything.
So Jude, his day, very much like our day. And he says in verse 5, he wants to give a reminder, a warning. It's very simple. He uses three examples to illustrate it. That there is a day coming of judgment. There are ramifications for choices that people make. Verse 5, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. You know, this one, this one shakes me a little bit. Because when I think of the people of Israel, what did they experience spiritually, supernaturally, from Almighty God. These were the people in bondage in Egypt. They, they saw the ten plagues coming. The last night when the Passover happened and all of them were spared and the firstborn was killed, they experienced all of that. They experienced leaving Egypt and taking the riches of Egypt. They experienced being this great community with a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke leading them. They experienced that time when they came to the Red Sea and how the sea was split, and they walked through safely. These people were the most supernaturally in tune people that there could be in history, in seeing divine power of God unleashed. But what this says is that it's not about witnessing divine things or even experiencing divine things. It's believing in the God behind it and walking with him. And there was a whole community within the children of Israel that didn't follow God. And there were ramifications to that. He goes on talking about angels and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Third example, Sodom and Gomorrah and there were surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So Jude saying, contend for the faith. Saying, remember, there's going to be a, a judgment day. And then he explains and gives a picture of the type of people who are coming in and trying to deceive and to draw people away. So as I read this section, just, just kind of listen to this description of what these people are like. Verse 8, yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment but said the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. All Old Testament pictures. Then verse 12, look at these pictures that he gives. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds 
feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Verse 14. It was about, also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they've committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth, boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. You see, the sad thing is these type of people here talking about are going to be people that will be coming into churches and organizations and Christian communities. That's this warning that he is giving to us. So he goes on then to give a call to persevere. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. What do we do? How do we live in this time? How do we contend for the faith? How do we struggle? Well, in these next few verses, he outlines it very simply and very powerfully. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. See, the, this holy faith he's talked about in the very beginning, it's that faith that has been passed down. It's this faith that we have that is recorded through the books of the Bible. And he's saying, this is how we can build ourselves up. You know, I shared with you that the, the, the greatest book being sold on the ship right now is this. Literally thousands and thousands and thousands of copies. Because in some of those communities, the people have been told, you don't read this. You listen to what the priest says, and that's it. And all of a sudden, people had opportunities to get the word of God for themselves and to read. So it's not a book that needs to be sitting gathering dust on our shelves, is it? But something that we need to be digging into, pouring into, asking God supernaturally, you gave this to us for a reason. Right. Too often, we come to a point of understanding, in a sense, the basics of the gospel people. You know that Christ came down, you know he died, you know he resurrected, you know we have the Holy Spirit. You've got it. It's a big book. There's a lot more now on how to use that gospel salvation message we have. 
how to deal and struggle against sin, how to fight for your friends and your family and for countries for the sake of the gospel, how to move forward in our faith, going on from milk to solid food. It's all here. But I'll tell you what, you got to want it. And that's what he's saying. Build ourselves up and go deep. The second thing he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Talking with Almighty God. Acknowledging that God the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. Taking what we're hearing, what we're reading from God, talking that back to God and saying, God, how does that relate to me? What am I missing here? What do I need to change in my life? What hard things are there that just need to be gotten rid of? Coming back to God, praying for other people, praying God's word into other people's lives, other people's situations. That sense of that prayer is entering into that that family of God. That communication that is living and active and infiltrating every part of our lives. At work, in your neighborhoods, wherever you are, as that prayer and bringing God into whatever you're doing and to see God's fruit come as part of it. Being in the Word, praying. And then he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Jesus said it another way. He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. You've been designed for fruit, eternal fruit, fruit that will last. But he says to do that, you have to remain in me. You have to abide in me. Because apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And so remaining, abiding, struggling, putting God as the number one thing every minute of every day in your life. He goes on, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Waiting for is that expectation, that expectation that he's going to come and that our salvation is going to be complete. Then we meet him face to face. We go to be with him. And there's this sense of excitement. You know, are you happy here? I'm not. There's a better place. We're here to do a job. We're here to be a light. We're here to to help others come to understand. But I think so many of us, we're pretty sick of the sick world. So let's have that expectation. And so all of these things of, of growing in the word and in being in prayer and waiting with expectation, re- remaining and abiding in Christ, this is all about loving him. And then he goes on. He says, now, love other people. This is how he says it. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. So here he's given this great warning. There's going to be these things coming. There's going to be people, our friends, our family, that will begin to doubt, to begin to question. And you know what? These are the people we go and we embrace. And we say, let's go have coffee. Let's walk together. Let's sit down. Let's talk through these things that you're thinking. 
have mercy on those people to be able to draw them back into the truth and that relationship. And then he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I think it was General William Booth who started the Salvation Army. He said, you know, the best training I could ever give the people in my organization, if I could just suspend them over hell for 30 seconds, I would not have to motivate them for the rest of their lives. There are people that we know, literally, that are standing on the edge. That we have mercy, that we have love, that we go, we snatch them and bring them back from that edge to an understanding of who a loving God is and that we are designed to be in that relationship and that is where we're fulfilled and we have perfect peace and where, in a sense, uh, all the things that we desire come together. And then thirdly, he says, and to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So there will be other family members or, or friends, people who are starting to go into a lifestyle, a lifestyle that's missing the mark of God's holiness, whatever that may be. And as we go to walk with them and love them and put arms around them, we do it with fear. Because Satan's wiles that were trapping them, he will use to trap us too. And it is as we pursue God with that fear, in a sense of wanting to be holy like he is, and to actually hate sin. Not play with it, not flirt with it, not hold on to a few things over here, but we hate it. And we do everything to get rid of it from our lives. And as we go and we join up with people, our friends who are so special to us, who are in the world and are into those things, we do not let that be a barrier. We jump right in and we want to be with them, but with fear. We don't let that darkness come into us. We bring the light of Jesus to them and to their situation. This is what Jude is saying to the people of that time. In the last days, it's going to be a mess. And it's going to get worse. And in those days, morality will break down. Law will break down. People's love will start to grow cold. People will start to go off after anything that makes them feel good. That makes them feel okay. And for us, this straight and narrow path of just taking what God has said to us, believing it, following it, that's where we need to be. And as I travel around in different places around the world, this battle is going to get bigger and bigger. We need to be those people who will contend. And to be able to contend 
We've got to know our God to really know our God, to have that burning passion to know our God. One day on the ship, there was a family who'd gone through the book exhibition and gone through this journey of life, and they were sitting in a corner. And they had been sitting there for over two hours, just sitting there. And finally, someone, one of the, the workers, the crew members, went over to them and just said, can I help you? Uh, I, I noticed you've just been sitting here for two hours. And you know what they said? Please, can someone tell us about Jesus? And the whole family came to faith right that minute. They were waiting. They were hungry. They were desperate. They just didn't know where to go. That's the people that are around us. But to be part of that, our first priority for us to love God and to love people. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've written to Jude. We thank you that your love for us is so great. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. Thank you for their love for Teresa and I. Thank you for their prayers for us. Thank you that they are extending their ministry to uh, South America through us. Lord, and I just ask in Jesus' name that you would pour out more anointing on each person in this room, more of your power, more of your love, that you would surprise them with who you are and what you've called them to be and what you would have them do while they're here in this city. Father God, would you shake us out of any complacency? And Lord, as we look into what you want to do, Lord, we want to be part of it. We don't want to miss out on what you're doing. Thank you for this great salvation you've given to us. And we just want to say this morning, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. You are our God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.